Well, this morning, we have a very special guest, uh, guests. Uh, Roger and Shelley Ishii are, are missionaries with the Navigators to the University of Maryland. They are joining us, and Roger is going to exhort us from that very passage I just read to you. And uh, so without further ado, please welcome uh, Roger Ishii to the pulpit. Well, greetings. Okay, we're all, the sound is on. Never give in. The Battle of Britain was Britain's desperate fight for survival in 1940. The Brits had 600 fighter planes to defend their country with virtually no help from any other nation. The Germans, on the other hand, had 1,200 fighter planes and 1,300 bombers to attack Britain's military and industrial centers. If they successfully eliminated the British Royal Air Force, the Nazis would have an open door to invade and overrun Britain, just as they had done to France and much of Europe. So imagine yourself, a pilot in the Royal Air Force. You knew the odds. You knew what the Nazis had done to France and Belgium and Austria and Holland and so many other European nations. You were faced with a hopeless situation. You would probably die a fiery death, but you had to try. You had to give it your last ounce of strength. You had to give your full effort because you needed to protect the millions of British citizens, your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your homeland. Now, miraculously, Britain prevailed. Otherwise, we'd all be probably speaking German. And the Royal Air Force were, was able to de uh, inflict devastating losses on the German Air Force. Prime Minister Winston Churchill declared immediately after the battle, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Almost chokes me up to say that. <clears throat> now, almost exactly one year after the Battle of Britain, Churchill gave a famous speech at his former high school. The prime minister captured the spirit that enabled those heroic pilots to win perhaps the pivotal battle in the entire World War II. He said, Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or penny, petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. 
How can we live with such determination in the midst of a crumbling, polarized culture in a system in which good is called evil and evil is called good? And perhaps on top of that, one may be facing family and financial problems that are nothing short of overwhelming. May the Lord give us insight today. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, I've had times when I did quit and several times in which I was sorely tempted to quit. Some of you may be familiar with Plebe Summer at the United States Naval Academy. At least you've heard of it, perhaps. During my Plebe Summer, we had no air conditioning in our dorm, so we steamed away in the sauna-like humid heat. And I had never experienced such verbal abuse, even in my imagination. It seemed that every time I opened my mouth or turned around, it resulted in a reprimand shouted at the top of an angry senior's lungs. I was ridiculed for my Christian convictions by my peers, and my squad leader called me into his room to ask me if I was really trying. I felt like a failure. It all just wore me down. At my lowest point, I was assigned special guard duty requiring to be inspected in dress uniform. As I stood there at attention, sweating and expecting to be reprimanded, all I could think about was the fun that all my friends were having back at home. It was summer vacation for them. While I was there, standing at attention, I thought how I could quit and just go home and relax again. Was it too late to start over at another college? Did they give away my place there? After the inspection, I returned to my room. I was losing hope like a plane losing altitude with an empty fuel tank. We'll pick up the rest of this story later. But meanwhile, we will explore reasons people lose hope, how we can persevere with resolve and purpose, and then three essential resources for living with perseverance and, and resolve. So again, we will explore reasons people lose hope, secondly, 
how we can persevere with resolve and purpose, and three essential resources for living with perseverance and resolve. So when do we lose hope? We can lose hope when we are purposeless or lose our sense of purpose. I recall hearing the story of Jewish prisoners in a concentration camp ordered to dig a large hole. In their weakened state, they spent hours digging. A huge pile of dirt accumulated. When the Nazi soldier supervising told them that they were finished, they rested for a minute or two. Then the soldier told them to fill in the hole. This process repeated itself several times over the next few days. Such meaningless, idle, well, not idle, but meaningless activity. All of those men died within a few weeks. We, too, can lose hope when we are purposeless or lose our sense of purpose. The United States actually has higher mortality rates than 16 other industrial nations, including Japan, Australia, Germany, and the UK. Many of these deaths are due to deaths of despair, including suicide, drug overdose, and self-destructive life patterns. And clearly, these are directly or indirectly related to a loss of purpose. We can lose hope also when anxiety rises and we become paralyzed with fear. An international student I discipled repeatedly found himself feeling out of control. He felt helpless. He felt fearful that he would fail. The idea that God was letting him down echoed in his mind. He became angry with God. Each time, almost like clockwork, he would then make choices he regretted later. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha had an unnamed servant who similarly became paralyzed with fear. Fortunately, Elisha asked God to reveal to, to the servant a glimpse of the spiritual reality which the servant could not see. God does that for us too. He gives us his word. It's our glimpse of the unseen works which God is doing. We can lose hope when anxiety rises and we become paralyzed with fear. So now that we've discussed losing hope, how can we live with resolve and purpose? I thought of four things. First, embrace 
the reality that we are soldiers in God's army at war, and it's a real war with real casualties. We must embrace this reality. Now, I admit it's, it's a scary thought. Most of us, you know, we won the Cold War, right? Most, if not all of us, would admit we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to suffer. I mean, this is America. We don't want to be inconvenienced. It would be a hardship to lose our cellular connection for an hour or have our broadband internet access go down for an evening. Why should we even think about tribulation and difficulty? Well, Jesus promised it. He promised that we would experience trouble. And it's clear. Look around us. We are in a spiritual battle. We have a demonic enemy who hates us. Look around us. It's hard to ignore. People are destroying themselves and then trying to impose the same destructive ideas on children with evil and destructive political decisions carried out with malice in states, in school systems, in governments, in international situations. Now, we may be tempted to just get mad, but what we need to do is to follow Jesus and his word, moment by moment, decision by decision. And that's actually a much safer path for ourselves and our families than trying to avoid hardship. Things will likely get hard, maybe really hard. We will likely suffer in some way. Jesus promised that we would have tribulation but that he has overcome the world. He said that in John chapter 16. But you know, if we look at it this way, we all know that unless Jesus returns first, none of us is getting out of this world alive. But our kind and merciful and all-powerful God promises that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's Romans 8, 18. We are absolutely safe in his everlasting arms. And we must not lose sight of the ultimate joy in the midst of temporary pain. So we are in spiritual war. This is a reality we must embrace. 
Secondly, we need to know our purpose. What is our purpose? The purpose of life is not our personal comfort and pleasure. If we look at the news and the world, the most, and maybe even just around us from day to day, the most unhappy, unpleasant, and destructive people in the world are those who are self-focused, thinking that everything is about them and that their desires and comfort and pleasure are the only things that matter. Actually, psychological research has demonstrated that thinking only about oneself is emotionally equivalent to being miserable. That was an amazing thing that I heard. But it bears, it bears the ring of truth. Reality is, our purpose is much bigger than that. God is sovereign, and he planned the time and location in which we would live, just as the, spirit, the scripture lesson clearly articulated. He knew the boundaries that we would, we would be here gathered in Fredericksburg, Virginia, this Sunday morning. He knew that. He knew when we would be born. He knew what we would do. And his purposes cannot be thwarted. Job realized that in Job 42.2. Now, like those brave Royal Air Force pilots in the Battle of Britain, even though the mission seemed hopeless, they had a noble purpose, and they stood on the side of freedom and life. God has placed all of us here to help bring about that glorious day on which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has an assignment for each one of us to help bring about that day. Whether it's through our work or among the people we work among, whatever our task, work heartily. You are serving the Lord Christ, Paul wrote in Colossians 3.23. And as we serve the Lord Christ, we are helping bring about the fulfillment of his purposes. So, I urge everyone here, myself included, to spend some quiet time with God, asking him to show each one of us what purpose he has for our coming days. And keep asking. He may make it clear immediately. Or it may be a calling which he unfolds to you over, over time.
Whatever that purpose is, know that God is absolutely trustworthy. As Paul wrote in Romans 12.2, that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. So, embracing reality, knowing our purpose, we need to know the source of our strength and power. As you likely recall, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not worship the huge golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they told him, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. Our God is able to deliver us from any hardship, persecution, or disaster to accomplish his purposes. As mentioned before, Elisha told his servant in 2 Kings 6, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. God is the source of our power. And he promised, I will be with you always, even to the close of the age. Jesus himself, our source, our strength, our goal. And don't we all want his reward to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when we arrive in his presence? Above all else, I believe our hearts long for that and, that, and the utter perfect peace of his presence the joy and delight of being perfectly understood and loved. We really must remind ourselves of these realities and truths several times a day. Now, you may be thinking, that sounds reasonable and that sounds true, but how do I keep focused? How do I keep myself from forgetting when under pressure? So now I want to close with three essential resources to help us keep moving in the right direction. And that f the first are God's precious and very great promises. My wife Shelley, years ago as a brand new registered nurse, would feel anxiety well up inside her when she heard a patient's monitor sounding on her floor. She had memorized that great promise from God in Isaiah 41.10 a short while before, and that promise says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10. And so as Shelley reminded herself of our faithful God's promise, she felt peace and courage flood her soul to face 
whatever situation caused that alarm. Of course, we are prone to forget reality, especially under stress. Our minds can just go blank. Thus, we must remind ourselves of truth several, if not many, times per day. We need to bathe our minds and hearts in the truths of God's precious promises, which He has faithfully kept for thousands and thousands of years. Pick your favorites as you read along. Pick your favorites out. Underline them. Write them down. Memorize them. Especially the ones that address the situations you confront currently, just as Shelley did years ago. How do you find those promises? Our pastor back in Annapolis likes to say it's really kind of his motto for life, a chapter a day for the rest of your life. A chapter a day for the rest of your life. If you do that, you can't help but come across these precious and very great promises. The second essential resource we're doing here today, and that's worship. By giving thanks and praise, we choose by faith to act upon what the Word of God tells us is true. We choose to turn our attention toward God and away from ourselves and our feelings. It's good to be aware of our feelings, but also to allow our faith to rise up and transcend those feelings. We also remind ourselves of times in which God acted on our behalf. And we can say thank you, and say thank you again and again and again. Giving God honor for that which He has done that we could not do. And the third resource is encouraging one another. For one, we did that earlier too. We prayed for each other's needs. Ask each other to pray for those needs in church, but also privately. I remember very clearly also another way of encouraging, and that is to speak loving words of grace and truth. My friend John unexpectedly visited me years ago when I was in the very early days of my campus ministry. I think I must have looked exhausted to him. He mentioned his concern and asked me if I might consider cutting back on some of my very early morning and late night Bible studies that I was leading on campus. I answered a bit lamely, but then what will happen to those guys? No one else is available 
to help them. I think he gently asked something else like, whose ultimate responsibility is it to care for these guys' spiritual growth? And he left that question hanging in the air. Now, I did not act on his words to me that evening, and I ended up burning out, needing actually to take about two months off in order to recover. But I can still remember that conversation with amazing clarity now, over 35 years later. And the lesson, though poorly heeded back then, stuck with me and has guided many of the future decisions that I would make. I am so grateful for John's loving words of grace and truth. Each of us can be on the lookout to give such words, often in the form of questions, to others too. You know, and I bet John prayed for me as well. I'll have to ask him. Let's return to my story of my miserable plebe summer when I was on the verge of quitting. When I returned to my room after that inspection, my roommate providentially exclaimed to me, you know, we've got to promise each other that we're never going to quit. Okay? Can we do that? I, I, don't, I don't know, but my eyes may have gotten really big at that point. It was almost as though he could read my mind. What else could I do but agree with him, right? So I said, sure, Bill, I, I, I promise. How about you? And he said, yeah, me too. About two weeks later, I met some fellow midshipmen who participated in the ministry of the navigators. They encouraged me and began to help me study the Bible, and they also taught me to how I could more effectively share about Jesus with other people. And four years later, I graduated, along with my roommate Bill, my good friend. God was so merciful to use my roommate, who was not even a believer then, to grab me figuratively by the shoulders and shake me out of my tailspin. So, let's never give in. Keep pursuing the purpose for which God has placed you and me here on this earth for such a time as this. Let's keep focused on Jesus and His promises and keep helping one another to resist the temptation to quit. And I'd encourage you to think, what do I need to do? Is there someone I need to encourage 
not to quit? Or do I need to share this prayer need with somebody today? And who might that somebody be? Let's pray.